When I'm president, unlike Barack Obama, we will keep this country safe. That's not what your colleagues say, Marco Rubio, down in Florida. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and many other fine affiliates, including... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, it is, of course, as ever, a uh, another thrilling action-packed adventure right in the middle of primary season. Uh, following Iowa, previewing New Hampshire, all of that uh, and more ahead. Plus, we've got a uh, a mayor, a mayor, a mayor, a mayor that we will be talking to uh, uh, shortly. You're going to want to stand by for that. But we've got some breaking news here as we go to air. Rand Paul is out. Rand Paul, uh, the Kentucky senator, is suspending his presidential campaign, he says, to focus on his U.S. Senate seat. This according to CNN and Politico on Wednesday. He's suspending his campaign. He says it's been an incredible honor to run a principled campaign for the White House. In a statement, he said, I will continue to carry the torch for liberty in the United States Senate. Uh, he, of course, had struggled to gain traction within the crowded Republican field this year. He finished fourth, however, in the Iowa caucuses. Now, that's not, you know, terrible, frankly, in a field of, what, 15, 16? I don't know how many are in it now, but he finished fourth. Not bad, except he had only 4.5% of the vote there compared to the, uh, the, the top three vote-getters on the Republican side in those caucuses, Donald Trump. I'm sorry, Ted Cruz, then Donald Trump, then Marco Rubio, each uh, in the 20s. So really, even coming in fourth, he wasn't even close, at least in Iowa. Uh, and uh, with a debate coming up, I believe, on Saturday now for the Republicans in New Hampshire, prior to the New Hampshire uh, uh, primary, first in the nation primary on Tuesday, Ron Paul uh, didn't even, I'm sorry, Rand Paul didn't even get, uh, 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 hasn't gotten enough support in the, uh, in the polls, polling uh, na- nationwide, to qualify for that Saturday debate. Rick Santorum is also uh, reportedly suspending his campaign today as well, though uh, Santorum had been the uh, reported winner of the Iowa caucuses finally back in 2012. 
He failed to get anywhere this year, uh, placing just about dead last among the uh, more than one dozen Republicans vying for support at the uh, Monday GOP caucuses in the Hawkeye state. So Santorum is out. Paul is out. Come Tuesday, we've got New Hampshire, and we'll see who is out thereafter. So that is some breaking news, a bit more breaking news concerning the uh, concerning the Democrats and their debates. This had been uh, on again, off again, but it looks like it is now on again, this new debate for Thursday in New Hampshire. And if it happens, of course, we will be covering it uh, the following day. Uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders have now agreed to not just this new debate on Thursday in New Hampshire, but to four more debates, beginning with this one on Thursday. Both campaigns have agreed to that, as well as three more, says the Washington Post. After the Thursday debate, they will square off again in Flint, Michigan. Uh, the city facing, obviously, a public health uh, disaster due to the uh, contaminated water there. Uh, that'll be in March. They'll also debate in Pennsylvania in April and in California in May. Oh, hello. So uh, that has now been agreed to. It looks like Bernie Sanders' hardball negotiating tactics uh, may have paid off, may have underscored that, yeah, you know what, he's maybe not a bad negotiator. He had said... He did not want to appear in just one this week, as uh, the Clinton camp had agreed to. He said, no, I'm not going to do them on an ad hoc basis. We'll have more or we won't, and they won't be on weekends or holidays, etc. And it looks like he's gotten his way. The DNC confirmed to The Hill that they will sanction these four additional debates, and that will allow them to the candidates to appear without triggering the previous party provision that would have barred candidates appearing in unsanctioned debates from appearing in uh, future official ones. So the agreement triples the number of remaining debates left on the calendar on the Democratic side. The original uh, calendar had called for only two more debates, one in February and one in March. So there you go. Uh, more debates coming on the Democratic side. And a lot of uh, Sanders had been calling for more debates for a long time. Clinton was not calling for them. But now that she's uh, not doing quite as well in the polls, at least in New Hampshire, she's more interested in mixing it up with Bernie. And frankly, why shouldn't she be? She does. Uh, she seems to do very well. She has done very well in these uh, in these debates so far. So there's that news. I talked a bit about uh, concerns of various fraud and dirty tricks on the Democratic side up in Iowa on yesterday's program. And as uh, Sanders supporters have been very concerned about what they saw in a few videos, we discussed some of those briefly and uh, the infamous set of coin tosses that all went for Hillary, etc., So we discussed that in very general terms yesterday with the Iowa caucus expert, Professor David Redlosk of Rutgers, very informative program, if you ask me, and and a fun and, and funny one as well. If you didn't hear it, you can always download our programs at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. In any event, uh, Professor Redlosk's take on those matters was largely that he didn't see anything of tremendous concern that much of it was a sort of stuff that happens in all close elections that you only notice when the results are really close and you get in there and you pay attention to what's going on. And in particular, in caucuses, which are a rowdy affair even when they go well uh, and when they're run, in this case, by volunteers across the state of Iowa. That was his opinion, his, you know, just one person's opinion. And as I noted 
uh, sometimes it takes a while for these concerns to come out, more details to come out, uh, for sometimes concerns at all to come out as we learn about more and more incidents. Well, I've heard from a few more folks since yesterday's uh, show uh, about their concerns in Iowa and about my conversation with Red Losk. Uh, and by the way, you can email me at any time. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Anytime with any thoughts on any show or any of this stuff that we cover here or that you think we should cover, feel free to drop me an email. Anyway, I hope to talk more about some of what we saw in Iowa with another guest this week in uh, in more detail and uh, before the uh, New Hampshire primary coming up, which, frankly, I am much, much more concerned about what goes on in New Hampshire in their primaries uh, for a number of reasons, a number of reasons that folks at bradblog.com may be well familiar with by now. Remember when uh, Barack Obama was winning in every single poll for days and days and days and weeks, really, before the New Hampshire uh, primary, and then Hillary Clinton ended up winning? Yeah, well, that, that took up a lot of oxygen at uh, bradblog.com back in 2008. Oh, was it that long ago? <laughs> Man, I'm old. In any event, uh, it, it did ultimately lead to a, a full recount on the Republican side, a partial recount on the Democratic side held by a, a Dennis Kucinich back then because of those concerns that we uh, detailed at bradblog.com. So yeah, lots of reasons to be concerned about New Hampshire. We're going to talk more about it later this week and, as I say, more about what happened with Iowa and the Democrats. But on the Republican side in regard to Iowa, I had noted yesterday that there hadn't been a lot of concerns out there uh, yet, even though I had a concern about what happened to uh, the voting rolls in Iowa. Some of those who had caucused in 2012 on the Republican side were suddenly not on the rolls on Monday night. So just another reminder, if you think you're registered to vote in Iowa, you might want to check that to make sure before November, because they had a terrible, a terrible secretary of state there, a guy by the name of Matt Schultz. Um, he is out now, and I don't know about this new guy if he's any better, but Schultz was one of those Republican voter fraud fraudster dudes claiming there was a massive voter fraud going on, of course, by Democrats, and he had to do something about it. And you know, all his I think he was there for four years. He was able to find like nothing, maybe 10 incidents of voter fraud, none of which were the kind that Republicans claim uh, is going on all over the country uh, you know, by Democrats, the, the type that is requiring them to put in photo ID restrictions to keep people from voting. Uh, and in the case of Iowa, of course, we know it's to keep Democrats from voting because when I, on the Iowa caucuses, the Republican Party doesn't need the permission of the state to set any rules they want, essentially, and they chose not to require photo ID to participate in the caucuses. So, you know, all they care about is uh, keeping Democrats from voting. So never a bad idea to make sure you are registered and registered for the party that you think you are registered for, particularly before uh, the primaries, if you hope to vote in uh, in those primaries. OK, I got to finish. What I was saying was that, yes, we now do have new concerns, uh, some fairly legitimate ones about a couple of things that happened on the GOP side at the Iowa caucuses on Monday. And Donald Trump, who had previously conceded to the reported winner Ted Cruz on Monday night, uh, is kind of reversing that. He is now calling the Iowa caucuses 
stolen. Yes, his words. So I'm going to take a look at that a little bit later in this show, I hope, at those specific charges and see if there is anything to them. And guess what? Between you and me, there might be. I'm just saying. So stay tuned for that. Meantime, also, we now have our first polling out of New Hampshire uh, since the Iowa caucuses on both the Democratic and the Republican side. The first poll of New Hampshire that includes some data collected after the Iowa caucuses showed only slight movement on the Democratic side between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. The University of Massachusetts Lowell tracking poll released today shows that Sanders uh, still has nearly twice the level of support of Clinton. This uh, three-day tracking poll included responses taken the day before, the day of, and the day after that Hillary Clinton uh, was said to have won the Iowa caucuses by just a ti- the tiniest of margins, 0.2%, I think is what it was. So we're seeing very little uh, change, at least according to this poll, which now shows uh, Sanders with 63% of uh, Democrats in New Hampshire and Clinton at just 30%. Huge, a huge difference between Sanders and Clinton, but little change since before Iowa. No wonder she wants some more uh, debates suddenly. So that's on the Democratic side. Uh, That wide margin continues at the moment anyway for Sanders. We'll see if that changes before Tuesday. On the Republican side, uh, a little bit more of a change. We see Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, who came in third, now gaining in the first New Hampshire poll since Iowa. This is the same University of Massachusetts Lowell tracking poll. So only one uh, day from this three-day tracking poll came after the results, after Marco Rubio showed up uh, in third place and declared himself the winner of the entire thing, kind of the way he he behaved. Um, Let's see here. Uh, It still shows uh, Trump at 38%. And Cruz at 14 percent. The previous poll also showed uh, Trump at 38 uh, with Cruz uh, reported at 12 percent. I'm sorry. He had been at 14. Now Cruz is at 12. So Cruz has lost a couple of points, whereas Marco Rubio has slowly gained a few points in this poll. Uh, Let's see. Rubio. he, he got a consistent gains over the week. He had 8% on Monday in the polling, 10% yesterday, and then 12% today. So Marco Rubio is moving on up. He is, uh, he would like you to believe, and there is some evidence now, that he is gaining momentum in New Hampshire and uh, might be the new favorite of the so-called uh, establishment candidates out there trying to uh, uh, vie against Cruz and Trump. So we need to follow him a bit more closely. Uh, Rubio, for some time, has thought that he is going to be the president. Here he was uh, last week. And Desi, you say there are no repeats in this in this clip, right? You just pulled these uh, together, this montage. Yeah, this is a montage of Marco Rubio from the GOP debate. From the last GOP debate in Iowa. Marco thinks he's going to be president, apparently. 
Because when I'm president, unlike Barack Obama, we will keep this country safe. When I'm president, we are rebuilding the U.S. military. When I'm president, that will change. When I am the president of the United States of America, and when I'm president, we are keeping ISIS out of America. When I am president of the United States of America, when I am president, and when I'm president, <laughs> as president, I'm willing to say or do anything in order to get votes. Okay, so there you go. He is, uh, he's going to be president. We need to get ready for it. So let's look at him a bit closely, I guess. Uh, we discussed this a bit last week in one of our Green News news reports but some 15 mayors in florida these would be elected officials who are colleagues of u.s uh, senator from florida marco rubio and constituents and constituents as well you're right 15 mayors in florida wrote a letter last week asking to meet with rubio their own u.s senator because they are very concerned about his pretty enormous flip-flops on issues like climate change, specifically on climate change, specifically in the state of Florida, where, uh, to say the least, that is a very important issue. So anyway, those mayors are now calling him out, calling out Marco Rubio for being in favor of action on climate change years ago back in Florida before he decided that he wanted to run for president and was now against action on climate change. One of those mayors will be joining us next right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. So, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, way back, way, way, way back in prehistoric times, back in 2005 and 2006 and 2007, as then Republican Florida Governor Charlie Crist originally came to power in the, uh, in the Sunshine State, climate change and global warming were, were a big concern in the state of Florida, even amongst Republicans, if you can believe such a thing. Not only in, in Florida, of course, but all across the country back then for Republicans. As you may recall, even Sarah Palin, when running for vice president with Republican candidate John McCain back in uh, 2008, even she was uh, promising action on man-made global warming. In Florida, of course, the concerns were uh, as large or larger than anywhere else in the U.S. as the southern part of the state in particular was and is on the forefront of rising seas thanks to global warming. Back then, of course, uh, in the uh, 05s, 06, 07s, 08s, uh, even Republican state officials like then-State Senator Marco Rubio had very serious concerns about rising seas and global warming and had wanted to do something about it. 
As the Naples News noted last year, uh, quote, after Christ, Charlie Crist was elected governor, he convened a summit, appointed a task force, and helped usher in new laws intended to address the future of climate change and rising sea levels. Crist and the Republican-dominated Florida legislature at the time set goals to reduce emissions back to 1990 levels. The initiatives involved so-called market-based solutions uh, to the problem of carbon pollution and would have included a Republican-backed cap-and-trade program as part of the effort. For a brief, shining moment, Florida was among the forefront of state-level climate actions at the time. But alas, as the paper notes, the effort didn't last long, and in a short amount of time, the state with the most to lose from a warming planet became a symbol of the polarized debate now surrounding climate change. When Governor, uh, when current Republican Governor Rick Scott came to power initially in 2011, everything began to change. Efforts to curb emissions in the Sunshine State and otherwise mitigate the worst effects of climate change were rolled back on the state level last year. As you'll recall, we talked about it on our Green News Reported on this program. It came to light that the Scott administration had actually instructed employees to no longer even use the terms climate change and global warming in public discourse and in official documents. That led to this fairly hilarious, were it not so disturbing, exchange during a state legislative hearing uh, where the matter was brought up and where Rick Scott officials were asked about climate change but were terrified to even utter the words. Are you familiar with the new uh, procedures that FEMA is issued just this week dealing with uh, climate change? My understanding is at this point is it will require that future versions of our mitigation plan will be required to have uh, language discussing that issue. What issue is that? Uh, the issue that you mentioned earlier regarding climate uh, <laughs> That, that is pretty funny, but uh, that is actually what's going on in the state of Florida and other ones uh, where Republicans are now arguably banning the use of the words climate change, global warming, even sea rise. So with the lack of leadership from the state government down in, in Tallahassee in Florida, the burden of climate change itself, which you will be shocked to hear, doesn't actually concern itself with politics. Uh, the burden of climate change is now shifted to municipalities where local officials must deal with the issue, whether ambitious politicians hoping to uh, not to offend the moneyed fossil fuel industry who they rely on uh, for their campaign funding, whether they like it or not. Presidential hopeful Marco Rubio, for example, has now simply turned to ignoring the ongoing problems already facing areas of Florida, where, as Grist noted uh, last week, some already have to wade through seawater to get to their car in the morning in areas of Florida. But where Rubio now simply denies that man-made climate change is even occurring. At a recent campaign event in Iowa, Rubio said that as president, he would not support policies to address climate change, arguing that that such policies would destroy the economy, especially since, as he has said now many times, the climate has always changed. There's never been a time when the climate has not been changing. The climate's always changing. It's always been changing, and it will continue to change. The truth of the matter is that we are not going to eviscerate our economy or set back economic growth or impoverish people to pursue policy agenda that will have a devastating impact on the economic lives of millions of Americans. 
So, against that backdrop now, 15 mayors of municipalities across the state of Florida have sent an open letter to Marco Rubio seeking a meeting to discuss these matters. In their open letter that uh, was published last week, they write, quote, As mayors representing municipalities across Florida, we call on you. Senator Rubio, to acknowledge the reality and urgency of climate change and to address the upcoming crisis it presents our communities, adding that our cities and towns are already coping with the impacts of climate change today. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Mayor Cindy Lerner. She is a former state legislator turned mayor of the village of Pinecrest, Florida, in Miami-Dade County. Mayor Cindy Lerner was first elected as mayor in 2008, was reelected in 2012. She's also the chair of the National League of Cities, Energy, Environment and Natural Resources Policy Steering Committee. The village of Pinecrest sits near the very tip of South Florida, about 10 miles south of Miami on the Atlantic Ocean, just three feet above sea level. Mayor Lerner is one of 15 uh, uh, mayors who recently published that open letter to former state legislator turned Florida U.S. senator turned Republican presidential candidate Marco Rubio. Mayor Cindy Lerner, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. Uh, good, good to be here. Great to have you. All right. Um, uh, in in your uh, note, uh, in your letter to Senator Rubio, uh, you and, and the other mayors note that sea levels in South Florida have already risen about eight inches over the past 100 years. They're projected to rise another foot in the next 35 years, potentially wiping out some $4 billion in coastal real estate, among other concerns. Uh, and you also note that with another three feet of projected sea level rise, the loss would dwarf that number and, and result in large sections of the Everglades, the Florida Keys, Miami metropolitan region being completely underwater. Uh, <laughs> these concerns are, are very real to you guys even already, are they not? What, what impact? Uh, I know that, you know, in South Florida, you're already dealing with these impacts. So what impacts are you seeing right now? on a daily basis, much less, you know, long-term climate change concerns? So we're already um, experiencing uh, extreme weather events mm -hmm. on a much more frequent basis, and uh, our infrastructure was um, never built to contemplate addressing the um, capacity needs that we now find ourselves in. Um, the stormwater... Uh, drainage plans uh, have all got to be revised on a on a fairly uh, regular basis, mm. and the cost of uh, the injection wells and the pumps and uh, raising our streets um, is far beyond what any of our cities or even counties are capable of doing. Mm. In fact, I just um, reviewed our. Um, State legislative budget requests mm -hmm. going to the Florida legislature, um, which is currently in session. And there are, I believe last year there were about a billion dollars worth of requests for uh, water drainage and uh, it's under the category of water projects, about a billion dollars worth of requests. The Florida legislature allocated about $70 million 
to mm. address those needs, and then our uh, Governor Scott vetoed mm. uh, more than half of what was allocated, the $70 million allocated. Mm-hmm. So we are literally drowning yeah. um, here in South Florida and have um, no leadership clearly at the state level and have to rely on our next president understanding the risk that we and the other coastal communities all over this country are facing. When you talk about injection wells, just so people understand from you know the rest of the country uh, in, in towns that aren't dealing with this every day as you are, when you talk about injection wells and raising the streets, uh, what, what does that mean? What are injection wells and why do you actually have to raise the streets? What is actually going on right now that is, uh, is a concern to you, to your drinking water and so forth? And, and again, not something that's way down in the future, but something that you've got to deal with right now. Right. Um, yes, we're, we are living it. Um, many areas of South Florida, not just the coastal areas, mm-hmm. but the interior um, parts of many of our cities and our counties are um, at, 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 at sea level. And in addition to the extreme weather and having rain events that um, we built our infrastructure Um, relying on uh, a certain level of service, some of which um, was an average of about a 25-year storm, a 10-year storm level of service. We're now having rain events on a regular basis that are considered a 100-year storm, meaning you don't expect those storms to come more than once every 100 years, except now they're coming several times a year. Mm. And, the, and the same thing, we have um, cities that are, have built their, their um, infrastructure at sea level because that's our ground level, mm-hmm. but we have a very porous geology that the peninsula of right. Florida was built on. And it's like the limestone is like a sponge. Right. So as sea level rises, it not only comes up on the coastal areas, it comes up from underneath where we live, and it comes up into storm drains and floods. It comes up into the well fields where we have, many of us are still living with septic tanks. So <laughs> these, these public health um, urgencies just grow uh, more and more frightening every year. What was the reason that uh, Rick Scott gave for vetoing uh, those, uh, you know, what money that the, the, the state legislature was willing to invest to, to mitigate? What, what was his reason for the veto? And, and basically, what has been his, his reason for rolling back so many of the program? I mean, Florida was, was really, uh, you know, began to be a leader under the uh, previous governor, Charlie Crist. Uh, you know, they began to be a real leader on climate change issues. So right. what, has the, what is the reason that he has given to the, to the people of Florida, and what was the reason for his, his recent uh, veto of, of funds trying to mitigate these very real, not hypothetical issues you're, you're having to deal with in, in your towns and, and municipalities? Um, unfortunately, we weren't really given reasons. It was, uh, it was staff, his staff that went through and just kind of uh, crossed, crossed off the list many of these um, very well-documented and urgently needed water projects. 
This year's request totaled um, about three-quarters of a billion dollars. Um, we will be vying for our desperately needed uh, f- funding of these requests mm-hmm. with the governor's uh, e- expectation that he will be able to accomplish a billion dollars in tax cuts this year. So um, that's what we're up against, is a governor who prefers to give more corporate tax cuts. Of course, the incentive for corporations to want to come to Florida Mm -hmm. diminishes significantly when they understand that we're drowning. So the governor needs to understand that, too, that he can cut taxes, but he's not going to be able to attract more uh, corporations to want to make their home in a state that is literally drowning. Uh, yeah, and I, I had uh, I had thought actually, you know, we've been covering uh, uh, green issues on on here on the broadcast on our Green News Report for many years, and I had actually thought that there was a possibility that once it became clear that we were actually talking about. Uh, you know, real estate being wiped out in coastal areas, that that cost, uh, uh, you know, to so many wealthy people that that would somehow ring uh, alarms for these Republican officials, because we're talking about billions, billions and billions of of dollars of potential losses to these communities. Uh, But that doesn't seem to have made any difference either with guys like uh, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio and so forth. It's... The state of Florida has unfortunately um, been stagnant in uh, its economic development initiatives. And we have relied for for decades on development and tourism. And those are the the major focus um, for um, bringing in uh, revenue to the state since we don't have an income tax. It's property tax, and it's all the development. And the development is being fueled by a lot of foreign money, especially in South Florida. Mm -hmm. These billion-dollar high-rise condos are being financed by uh, mostly cash from China, from South America. They're coming in, and they're just building. um, The financing is for foreigners to be able to park their money. And from our developers' standpoint, it's take the money and run. So they don't, nobody wants to talk about the reality of where, <laughs> where these buildings are going to be um, uh, in 30, 40, 50 years. What I think is going to be the game changer is when the insurance industry and uh, the mortgage industry come in and start um, declaring um, their unwillingness to give 30-year mortgages or to uh, insure properties. Indeed, uh, insurance companies are already looking at this. Uh, They are not climate change deniers. They are looking at this and knowing that they're going to be left holding the bag for a lot of this. I'm speaking with the Honorable Mayor Cindy Lerner, Mayor of the Village of Pinecrest, Florida, down in uh, uh, Miami-Dade County, uh, in in your letter, uh, uh, Mayor, with the uh, with the other mayors uh, to Marco Rubio, you wrote that in 2006, uh, Rubio had acknowledged the reality of climate change and promoted solutions, including energy efficiency measures, tax incentives for renewable energy and alternative fuel, 
Uh, you said he supported hybrid vehicles because they save money, quote, while reducing emissions and helping to curb global warming. That was in 2006. What do, as you see it, uh, uh, Ms. Mayor, what changed uh, between 2006 and uh, and now for Marco Rubio and, and really the entirety of the Republican Party at, at this point? What's what what has been that change? It has not been that long since guys like Rubio and, and even Sarah Palin and, you know, Mitt Romney and so forth were calling for action on climate change. Right. Well, it, it was a growth of um, campaign finance com- contributions and a very obviously aggressive strategy by um, the fossil fuel industry um, to move forward with um, funding the campaigns of the of Congress uh, of the U.S. Senate in a very deliberative way, um, and and now we're. Um, faced with the consequences of that. Do, do you think it's as simple as in uh, uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse uh, has has specifically pointed to the Citizens United decision in 2010 as the moment when things changed from, uh, you know, re- Republicans who supported uh, doing something about climate change to the time when they suddenly, all of them, uh, to a, a man and woman, it seems, became uh, deniers. Do you think that it was really it, just the, the change in the way our campaigns are financed uh, following Citizens United in 2010? Well, I think that had a significant, that, that was exponentially um, a, a flood of money, which um, has um, made it increasingly difficult to counter um, with the reality and with science. And the other, the other aspect that I think... Um, has been ignored, intentionally ignored, was that there actually is a very vibrant economy in energy efficiency and mm-hmm. renewable energy um, that doesn't get the commercial um, uh, attention mm-hmm. uh, that it deserves. So, you know, part of what Marco Rubio and... Um, uh, all the Republican candidates who are uh, in in denial, it's really uh, part of just an, uh, a campaign strategy, an ideology that ignores the reality of the consequences that we're facing, but also the green economy mm-hmm. that exists. I mean, look at what's going on in Germany and in other parts of Europe where they uh, have these vibrant... Um, economies that are based on renewable energy. Uh, Aside from the uh, obvious, well, at least obvious to you and me, uh, uh, aside from the obvious improvements to the economy that can be seen uh, in taking action on climate change, what what do you and and, and the other mayors who are dealing with the very real costs of climate change now uh, and the effect on your economy what do you he- what do you think when you hear a guy like Marco Rubio in that clip we played earlier talking about uh, taking action devastating our economy? I-, I mean, it seems like it's devastating your economy, your towns, and other towns like it down there in South Florida to not take action. I- your heads must be spinning when you hear that from your own uh, U.S. senator. It's it's beyond uh, disappointing. <laughs> it's really disgusting to. Um, listen to somebody that 
that we well know he knows better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. he's just uh, reading from a script that uh, he thinks is going to help him get uh, into higher office. And I, I can't believe that that will be the case. That um, We've made too much progress in the current administration. Uh, to, we cannot afford to go backwards again. What are you specifically asking for from the senator, from Senator Rubio, uh, uh, beyond a meeting? Or what would you ask uh, in such a meeting? And, and has he responded yet to... Uh, to your letter from, from yourself and the other uh, 15 or so uh, Florida mayors? He has not yet responded. And uh, what we want is a dialogue. What we'd like is to be able to um, share with him the reality of what his current constituents in the state of Florida, he is our U.S. senator, although he's been <laughs> totally absent as a um, senator from the state of Florida. Um, he needs to... Um, be educated Mm -hmm. and informed and advised on uh, what it is that um, needs to be done to protect um, the the country not just the the state of florida but but particularly because we are ground zero we are the uh, canary in the coal mine so to speak of what's going going to be happening um, throughout the united states and he needs to um, stand up and, and lead on these initiatives. Our current congresswoman, who's a Republican, uh, Ileana Ross Leighton, who served with him, mm-hmm. um, serves with him now mm-hmm. in um, Congress, has recently signed off on the Gibson Resolution, which was a um, Republican led initiative in Congress that actually does acknowledge the uh, realities of climate change and um, takes a position that Congress needs to act on it, both to mitigate and to provide uh, support for infrastructure infrastructure upgrades. It's amazing that you guys have to write an open letter uh, to get the attention of your own U.S. senator while while he's up there meeting one-on-one virtually with voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and you guys are begging to have a meeting to discuss how to save the lives of your own residents. It's it's remarkable. Uh, Finally, uh, Mayor, amidst the shift... I know there's been this shift I, I talked about from from state now to local and uh, municipality efforts uh, to deal with global climate change. And it's amazing to even say that, that you have to deal with global climate change at this point on the local level because the state it, it ain't offering you a lot of help. Uh, despite that, uh, President Obama has recently hailed the efforts of four counties in South Florida as a model for the country. Uh, c- can you explain what that coalition has done to win the praise of, of the White House and and uh, what other efforts are being done You know, beyond the state level where you're not getting the help you need? Sure. Um, yes, we're very proud of what we've accomplished in Southeast Florida. We have the what, what is a template, actually, at, at the regional level for approaching the challenges that we face. Uh, Palm Beach County, Broward, Miami-Dade, and Monroe counties, which comprise um, over 4 million residents, probably much more than that by now, mm-hmm. um, came together in uh, about 
2010, I think it was 20, 2007 or 8, mm-hmm. where we first came together and um, created a climate compact. And under that compact, they um, brought in our uh, academic institutions. They brought in federal agencies such as NOAA and um, agreed to the science of climate change and agreed that we would establish a set of um, standards and projections. We would model um, and we would meet on a yearly basis to update ourselves and share best practices. And then a couple years later, created a climate action plan. And in that climate action plan are 110 recommendations Mm. uh, for steps to be taken to protect our infrastructure, to better inform our residents, and to move forward in a collaborative fashion to go after more um, more uh, regional needs that are either at the state or at the federal level that uh, we would be approaching together. So as a result of that, we now have cities and counties that are doing our vulnerability assessments, and we are using new technology where we um, have modeling and projections based on LIDAR mapping, so we know where the highest risks are, Mm -hmm. and uh, we are trying to advance projects, as I said, trying to get state funding for some of these uh, infrastructure projects. And we're coming together with legislative initiatives, both at the state and the federal level, that we lobby for. As a as a region, it's it's remarkable that uh, you guys have to take this effort uh, on, on largely on your own in so many respects and have to beg the state to help you out. Uh, it's uh, and of course, you know, when we're talking about the people you're talking to, you would think they would understand that the sooner you start, the cheaper it will be to deal with these issues. Just amazing. Uh, uh, Mayor, uh, I wish you luck with uh, uh, yourself and the other mayors you're working with down there on this uh, effort. We've, we, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, we, we spoke during the uh, Paris, uh, UN Paris talks with uh, some of the folks representing the low-lying island nations. They, too, referred to themselves as the canaries in the coal mine, just as you do uh, concerning the, the, the municipalities in, in so- South Florida. L- lots of canaries uh, in the coal mine, and I suspect uh, too many coal mines. That might be part of the problem. Uh, Honorable Mayor Cindy Lerner of the uh, village of Pinecrest, Florida, down there in South Florida, uh, good luck to you, and and please stay in touch as this moves forward. I'd I'd like to continue to talk to you guys and see if if we can get things uh, moving in the right direction down there. Thanks. We appreciate you taking the time to focus on uh, what we're doing. You bet. Our pleasure. Mayor Cindy Lerner of the village of Pinecrest, Florida. Okay, a quick break, and we are back with more broadcast as Republicans charge Republicans with fraud and a stolen election in Iowa. That's straight ahead. Stay tuned. Song makes me think of Goodfellas. 
which may be appropriate here. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I mentioned at the uh, at the top of this show uh, that we're going to be talking a little bit later this week about some more about the concerns that I know a lot of Sanders folks have about the way the results uh, came together in Iowa on Monday at the caucuses. So we'll be talking more about that as the week goes on and about the New Hampshire primary coming up next Tuesday, which everyone should be quite concerned about. But we'll talk about that uh, later. I mentioned also that there was something on the Republican side as far as uh, concerns about the results. And I want to try to get to this. I want to try to make sense of this has been out there uh, on CNN and elsewhere. But uh, so I'm trying to stitch together the pieces of what actually happened here as it has resulted in Donald Trump declaring the entire Iowa caucuses stolen. Okay, so here's what seems to have happened. Uh, On Monday, during the Iowa caucuses, Chris Moody of CNN had tweeted that Ben Carson would not be going to New Hampshire and South Carolina. The tweet, the exact tweet is, Carson won't go to New Hampshire, South Carolina, but instead will head home to Florida for some R&R. He'll be in D.C. Thursday for the National Prayer Breakfast. And then, and it's unclear which came first, uh, uh, Ted Cruz's campaign or Steve King, a congressman from Iowa who is a surrogate for Ted Cruz. But Steve King tweeted, and remember him, he's the guy who famously, uh, what did he say, that illegal immigrants are crossing the border with... With uh, calves like cantaloupes. Cantaloupe, that's right. Smuggling drugs. Smuggling drugs, so they have calves the size of cantaloupes. Whatever crazy thing that was. Anyway, he tweets... Carson looks like he's out. Iowans need to know before they vote. Most will go to Cruz, I hope. That was his tweet on the day of the Iowa caucuses. Now, the Cruz campaign saw either that or saw the CNN report uh, in response on Monday. The Cruz campaign then sent out an email to their caucus captains around Iowa while the, you know, while the caucus was in process This was from staffer Spence Rogers. He sent precinct captains an email suggesting that Ben Carson planned to leave the race, despite the fact that Carson's campaign had said that he would continue. He wasn't leaving. The the email said sent to Cruz captains at the precincts in Iowa said, Breaking news. The press is reporting that Dr. Ben Carson is taking time off from the campaign trail after Iowa and making a big announcement next week. That's what the email said. It was acquired by CNN. It went on to say, please inform any Carson caucus goers of this news and urge them to caucus for Ted Cruz. Now, Larry Ross, a spokesman for Carson, insisted in a statement that uh, Carson was, quote, not suspending his presidential campaign. He said it was stronger than ever. He said after spending 18 consecutive days on the campaign trail, Dr. Carson needs to go home and get a fresh set of clothes. He will be departing Des Moines later tonight to avoid the snowstorm and will be back on the trail on Wednesday. We look forward to tonight's caucus results and then to meaningful debates in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Carson has decried what Ted Cruz did as a dirty trick. He said, this is really a dirty trick. This makes me more determined than ever to keep going. Now, you got to keep in mind that anyone who would uh, think, oh, uh, Carson is out, anyone who would support Carson but want to make sure that their vote counted for somebody who was going to stay in the race, they would be, quite frankly, likely to move to Ted Cruz. 
also, you know, appealing to the evangelical voters up there in Iowa. So Cruz's campaign defended the original email message that was sent out to precinct captains. And that was, frankly, erroneous because he hadn't said he was getting out of the race. He hadn't said there would be a big announcement next week. Uh, Cruz's campaign said, uh, what did they say? They defended the message, said Carson said he was taking time off to go home. We simply repeated what he said. Our email simply stated the facts. When they were asked what that big announcement next week was uh, supposed to refer to, they did not respond to uh, to CNN. Carson told Fox News that his wife, Cindy, was left to uh, candy, I should say, was left to correct the campaign's misinformation coming from Cruz. She spoke at one of the caucuses, apparently, and said, no, we're not quitting. And uh, apparently Ben Carson ended up winning that particular caucus. Uh, and now Carson is demanding an apology from Cruz. Cruz said, uh, well, it was it was a mistake. At first, he didn't want to apologize. Now he's apologizing, but he's not going to fire anybody for it. So Cruz is refusing to fire anybody for this. Carson says it could have made the difference. And in fact, there was, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but about three or four points between Ted Cruz in first place, Donald Trump in second place, despite Donald Trump being ahead in the polls, most of the polls going into Iowa. So if three or four percent of the voters peeled off from Carson and moved on up to Ted Cruz, well, that could have made the difference. That could have dislodged Donald Trump from a, a first place finish. Well, that's what Donald Trump certainly thinks. On Wednesday, he published, he went on a tweet storm uh, after uh, Tuesday night when he called what uh, uh, Cruz did. He called it uh, dirty. He called it a disgrace to the Hill. And then on Wednesday, Donald Trump tr- tweeted, Ted Cruz didn't win Iowa. He illegally stole it. That is why all of the polls were so wrong. Annie, why? That's what it says. Annie, why? He got more votes than anticipated. Bad. Well, he deleted that uh, tweet. Donald Trump did, and he replaced it, correcting the typo, removing the word illegally. He said, Ted Cruz didn't win Iowa. He stole it. That is why all the polls were so wrong and why he got far more votes than anticipated. Bad, said Donald Trump. And then he said, during primetime of the Iowa caucus, Cruz puts out a release that real Ben Carson was quitting the race and to caucus or vote for Cruz. And then Donald Trump tweeted that he uh, he brought up another issue, which, frankly, is almost as troubling, if not more so. He said many people voted for Cruz over Carson because of this Cruz fraud. Also, Cruz sent out a all caps voter violation certificate to thousands of voters. Trump went on to say the voter violation certificate gave poor marks to the unsuspecting voter, a grade of F, and told them to clear it up by voting for Cruz fraud Donald Trump repeated so that was uh that was today this was Donald Trump on a tweet storm saying he didn't lose after all it was stolen from him by uh by Ted Cruz and in fact a notice was sent out uh to voters uh, that said uh, you are receiving this election notice because of low expected voter turnout in your area your individual voting history as well as your neighbors are public record their scores are published below and many of them will see your score as well caucus on monday to improve your score and please encourage your neighbors to caucus as well a follow-up notice may be issued following monday's caucuses 
a scary note, to be sure, and one, frankly, that I have seen from other Republicans put out in years past, telling them, we know who's voting. We know your, your voting record is public. You better show up and vote. And, of course, it scares the hell out of them. Is it illegal? I don't know. Apparently, the uh, Iowa Secretary of State, Paul Pate, said that Cruz's campaign had misrepresented state law with this letter. So we'll see. It could be investigated. It could be a campaign violation in uh, in Iowa. Trump was asked whether he was going to file a formal complaint against Cruz in Iowa. He said, yes, I probably will. What he did is unthinkable. He said the man had just left the race, and he said it during the caucus. Uh, the problem with politics is it's so dishonest. Donald Trump said when he was pressed about whether he would actually file a lawsuit. It remains to be seen whether he will actually file a lawsuit. Trump went on to say that uh, Cruz was already, quote, under investigation for the voter violation mailers. We'll see if that is true or not. Don't yet know. Cruz, meanwhile, uh, has been largely unapologetic. He has failed to uh, he, he apologized for the mistake, but he has failed to fire anybody. In response to Trump's accusations, Cruz spokesman Rick Tyler told CNN that Trump was merely trying to get attention. The reality hit the reality TV star in Iowa, so nobody is talking about him now, says the Cruz spokesman. He's just trying to regain some attention on Twitter. Maybe. Uh, but maybe there were some, uh, uh, I don't know if I would call this fraud. Certainly some dirty tricks. Certainly some hardball. And politics, as they say, is not beanbag. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to Mayor Cindy Lerner of Pinecrest, Florida. We will be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com or follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad blog. All right, that's it. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.